In this episode, we discuss the application of Web3 technologies in the industrial Internet of Things and edge computing. My guest on this episode is Rex St. John. Rex has spent over a decade building developer relations programs at companies such as Intel, ARM, and NVIDIA, where he is currently building a global software ecosystem for NVIDIA Jetson. A quick thank you to our sponsors. This episode is made possible by our friends at HiveMQ, who are providers of an enterprise-grade edge and cloud-based MQTT broker. I use it for my own IoT applications, and they have a free version which allows you to connect up to 100 IoT devices. So please do check it out to help support this channel. Welcome to the fourth generation podcast here on Industry 4.0 TV, which is a series of weekly interviews designed to help you learn industrial IoT from some of the world's leading practitioners. So if you're new here, make sure to subscribe and click on the notification bell to make sure that you never miss any of the interviews. If you find this conversation interesting, please review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and connect with me on LinkedIn at Kudzai Manditereza. Now, here is my interview with Rex. Okay, so Rex, uh, I would like to welcome you to the fourth generation podcast here on industry4.tv uh, to discuss the application of Web3 in edge computing and industrial IoT. So welcome. Thank you for having me and really appreciate uh, your making the time. Okay, great stuff. So now, Rex, um, as you know, there's there is, there is a lot of uh, Web3 information uh, flying around nowadays. Uh, some of it obviously being some misconceptions. Uh, so perhaps we could uh, begin this session uh, by giving us a definition of, of what Web3 really is and uh, what are the key drivers of Web3. Absolutely. Before I get too far into it, I'll say these are all my own opinions and nobody else's. So once uh, we've established that, I can talk a little bit about Web3. Um, so there has been a very significant amount of discussion about what exactly Web3 is over the last few months. And uh, I think there's still some disagreements, but um, some common trends that people can agree on is it's about uh, the ownership of your data and your money it all flowing to you, the user and the community participant. So rather than outsourcing your identity or ownership of your videos or content or, or posts, all that stuff is going to be owned by you. It's going to live in your wallet. And uh, it seems to be that the trend is towards moving away from necessarily APIs, everything uh, being driven by APIs to everything uh, being centered around the wallet as a construct. So I'm going to own an NFT that represents my house. I'm going to own NFTs that represent my tweets and my content. And uh, my wallet's going to talk to yours. So it, this, this is the direction things are heading in. Uh, uh, fully defining it would be a much longer discussion, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so now from that definition and from your understanding of Web3, uh, how will it uh, impact uh, edge computing and uh, uh, industrial IoT, particularly in the, in, the, in the manufacturing space? So I think we're in a context where we've heard a decade, we've had a decade of people talking about blockchain, you know, blockchain this, blockchain that. And uh, I think uh, a lot of that discussion didn't seem to end up anywhere uh, that people feel is productive that they can point to and say, well, blockchain clearly enabled this particular use case that wasn't possible before. 
So um, I think you have to understand this context before we can talk about what has changed and what's likely to change in the future. So when I look online in, in the this traditional silicon IoT edge computing space, I see a lot of people who are pretty burned out on the, the whole topic of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and blockchain. And uh, their, their current um, read on the situation is that this is just, uh, it's a Ponzi scheme, it's a scam, it's like nothing, nothing has happened here. But what I think, I think they're missing is that some things have changed. And in particular, uh, I would point to the movement towards these proof of stake algorithms that are being advanced by folks such as Ethereum and many others. Now, with this change, we're, we're moving into a world where um, you no longer need to just fire up very heavy duty servers and hardware and then just run them to burn energy to to create to crack these cryptographic problems uh which you know most of that energy i i think a lot of people would argue is wasted uh just to, just to uh provide the security of, of bitcoin and other proof of work networks so now what we're doing is uh moving towards some new algorithms these proof of stake now algorithms which are much faster much more streamlined much more lightweight and they don't have this side effect of throwing away a lot of computing processing power yet they're felt to be quite secure. So with this change, this enables, in my opinion, for the first time, some really interesting new use cases in edge computing and IoT. And I'm seeing a lot of evidence that uh, this, is a, this is an area that is growing and it's likely to grow in the future. Okay, that's, that's interesting. Now, well, clearly the, the, the rate of adoption is, is not as, uh, as, as one would expect for, 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 for um, uh, such a transformative uh, technology. So what would you say are the biggest challenges at the present moment with regards to the application of, of Web3 in, uh, in edge computing? I think there's a big uh, usability and uh, user experience problem. So that's the first one. Like uh, there's a lot of people that have spent all day long in these spaces playing around with decentralized finance and like swapping money and, and, and coins and things like that. So there's a lot of people that are, have gained a lot of these advanced skills. Yet, um, when I look to the broader public, like I think it's just going to be an incredible amount of lifting to move most people into this space because most people don't have the time to be on Twitter and in Discord 24-7 learning about all these projects and swapping coins and securing their wallet. So there's just a massive usability gap. So I think that's the number one. And the second one, I think there's just a really big education gap. Like, again, this space is innovating so rapidly that even if you miss a month or two, like that's missing several years of innovation, I think, outside of this space. So there, there's education and usability gap that's just enormous. Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. Now, well, for, for industrial IoT solution architects uh, uh, in the audience uh, who may be wondering, like, how, how, how do you go about putting this into, into practice? Uh, what are the architectural approaches or, or methodologies that currently exist for, for, for Web3 uh, implementation? So let's talk a little bit about uh, what seem to be the things that are true about Web3 that directly and realistically relate to IoT and industrial and edge computing. So um, I would say at this stage, like, I don't think you can look around and be like, well, blockchain is now powering this factory, like in a realistic way, or that blockchain or, or proof of stake algorithms are solving some, some problem in this, in this use case. So I think that is just completely missing. But when we look around, what we start to see is, okay, 
here are the areas where this actually makes sense. Like these are the things that are likely to be impacted in your world. And it will probably take a couple of years before you really start to see it on the ground. So um, the first thing I would point to is the helium network. So helium was covered by the, the New York Times, uh, I believe it was last week. And the, the gist of this article was, actually, maybe there is a use for blockchain after all. Like that was literally the title. And what they're, what they're observing with, was that there have now over 500,000 of these helium nodes. And what it is, is it's, you buy a, effectively an industrial gateway. It's like a 1,200, 900 to, you know, 1,200, $1,500 gateway. And then you, you set it up in your house with an antenna and you provide LoRa connectivity to your, your local neighborhood and you, you mine coins with that gateway. And then what's following after that is you're starting to introduce other forms of connectivity. Like I just got a, a, a 5G radio from Helium from a Freedom Fi. So now I've got like a, a, an actual 5G hotspot that I'm running out of my house to provide 5G connectivity to my neighbors. So it seems like uh, th this connectivity conversation is moving first. And this is the area that is currently being impacted by impacted in the IoT space. I'm not sure if I would call it industrial. So that that is moving along. And then you can start to ask, you know, what is likely to happen next? And I, I think I think what we're looking at in the future um, it is, is a world where connectivity, compute power, storage, energy, and, and these kinds of uh, resources that are, are provided by computers become exposed on an open network. It's an open marketplace so that your excess capacity can be bought and sold. And that's going to have a, a lot of ramifications in the future. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So from, from your description there, essentially what I get is that this, uh, uh, this whole idea of, of, of Web3 is about decentralizing uh, compute connectivity and, and, and also storage. So like, uh, are there any mature technologies or, or, or projects that you could talk to us about? Uh, about? It seems like decentralized uh, storage is moving quite quickly. So these folks from Protocol Labs created something called IPFS, which is Interplanetary File System. And what this lets you do is kind of uh, rely on a volunteer network of people that are providing storage so that you can uh, use this as kind of like a distributed Amazon S3 in some ways. And uh, you can back up your, your files into multiple locations based on whoever in this marketplace, because it is a marketplace of storage providers are, are able to provide. And then you're using, uh, in their case, they're, they're monetizing that or they're, they're paying people with these uh, tokens called Filecoin. File so it seems like, uh, and there's other projects such as Arweave. Arweave are, uh, um, I haven't fully studied Arweave, but they offer something called uh, permanent storage. So it's like the idea that you store this file once and then it never goes away. And then it, you've got a guarantee that that's going to be there forever. So uh, storage and connectivity seem to have moved first. And then I, there are a number of projects exploring decentralized compute, such as Gridcoin, Gollum Network, um, there, there's several others that are doing this where the idea is like, okay, I've got a CPU flux. I've got a CPU lying around. It's not doing anything. So why don't I sell that to people? Uh, another one is uh, Otoy Render Coin. They're selling off uh, GPU, excess GPU capacity. So um, the, the compute conversation is coming along. And then you've got people like uh, a cache network 
And what they're doing is true uh, decentralized web services where you can like, if I build a website, a uh, cache and Definity and others, I can deploy that to volunteer computers and then pay kind of like tokens to have that website hosted by this, this network of volunteers versus like AWS or wherever. Oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's quite interesting, you know. And uh, one other interesting uh, concept is, uh, is, 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 um, is that where you mentioned in, in one of your videos where you talk about the fact that uh, uh, the iPhone was a success because uh, Apple uh, employed a business model that uh, subsidized hardware uh, to, to make it cheaper, so to speak. So maybe first of all, you could maybe start by uh, explaining more about that and then uh, also talk to us about what sort of business models uh, for subsidizing hardware, do you do you envision for, for, for Web3 in the industrial edge computing space? Yeah, so, I mean, historically, the idea of installing hardware and writing custom software for it is uh, a very big lift. Like, if I'm going to put some computer in some factory to solve some problem, you're looking at an extremely large expenditure, both on the software and the hardware side and the maintenance piece. Um, so, um, what you're getting at there is um, a lot over the last few decades, uh, you've seen a lot of slides and heard a lot of people saying, okay, IoT has arrived. There's going to be devices everywhere. This is going to be little computers and sensors attached to absolutely everything. And then uh, the piece that didn't materialize is exactly what the business model is to finance and justify putting sensors in all those places. So the, the concept of, okay, well, there's, Computers are cheap, so they're just going to be everywhere gathering sensors. It's like the first aspect of it and the technology and the business models to do that are, are in place. But the thing that hasn't arrived is, you know, like, how do you justify actually doing that? And, and, and that's, what, that's what folks like Helium are showing is like the hardware is actually going to pay for its own costs. And it's going to justify that based on the actual usage of that end hardware, the utility of it. So, if I, you know, I just spent 1500 bucks to put a, a 5G radio in my house. And in theory, that's going to pay for itself by uh, the, the fees coming in from people like logging onto my 5G hotspot and then paying me to, to cover the cost. So in that world, the, the business model shift is that uh, this hardware is now more directly able to be monetized and, and justify itself. And then as that trend continues, you can see a world where not only can the hardware uh, pay off its own expenses, it can also... Uh, pay to recycle itself at some point. It could be setting money aside from uh, coins uh, being used to pay into it. And those coins could ultimately be used to pay some vendor to come pick up the device and replace it and throw it away and like clean it up. So so I, I think that kind of uh, uh, trend is coming. Oh, okay. Great stuff. Okay, so do, do you have any like uh, practical use cases of uh, Web3 and uh, edge computing in, in industry that you could uh, share with us? Storage is the biggest one. I mean, that one... Like I'm, I'm talking to folks like FileBase and others, and um, th they are seeing real, real demand for this, and and uh, I'm, I'm seeing that the economic calculation for using storage on networks like that make good sense in some cases, and I think ultimately it is all about economics and and actual utility. Like people are really gonna drill into this, and like. They're they're gonna they're not no one's gonna do this unless it really makes sense from economic perspective. So from from that from that perspective, like we have to be really honest about the current state of of overall maturity. It's like, you know, this is this is not gonna happen tomorrow. This is gonna take years. Like this yeah. is this is gonna take a while. But we're starting to see 
early evidence that this is this this type of approach is going to be more common in the future. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. So now there's also another interesting uh, concept that I, I picked up from you, uh, which is the, the the distributed training of artificial intelligence models uh, using Web three. Uh, could you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, so here's a good example of like a natural fit for this combination of technologies. And, and this is where I actually see this making sense. Uh, so with federated learning, the way it works is I, as a central um, uh, organizer, have some model and I, and I want to rely on a network of people to help me train this model with private data that only they have. So that could be hospitals that have a lot of, you know, x-rays of tumors, for example. And those hospitals, due to legal regulations and other reasons, privacy concerns, they can't just send that data from the hospital to the central location so that you could train on, their, on that data. So what they do instead is they say, okay, I'm going to take this model, I'm going to send it to the hospital, I'll let the hospital train this model using the data that they have, and then the hospital will send me an anonymized, obfuscated, you know, a version back of that model uh, that has has been trained. So you can see that this uh, this workflow uh, forms a, a little bit of an economy between these hospitals and the central provider and the model. And this this is a natural fit for a concept of well, the hospital should be paid based on how much data they have, how much how much they train the model. They should be paid based on how much compute and GPU time they dedicate towards training that model. So they should be paid for that. And in, in like uh, you, could you could pay that in for that in a variety of ways. But one of the ways that makes the most sense is some sort of uh, some sort of lightweight proof of stake currency that can keep track of you know, how long did you train this model for? OK, we agree it was 100 hours and it was 50 terabytes of data. Uh, so you get, you know, uh, $20,000 from from us and we'll send that right to you from our wallet to yours. And, and uh, then when you send the model back, then you get that payment. So that that's a very natural entry point. And there's people that are, there's, uh, I believe it's a company called I, IEX or IEXEC. They're actually doing that already. They're, they're doing this kind of use case of federated learning with uh, cryptocurrency payments. So that is one place where this actually, all the pieces sort of make sense. Oh, okay. Awesome. Okay. So now to, to conclude this session, you, you, you had mentioned the fact that this is, you know, we're, we're in the early days here, but I would like to kind of get a, a sense from you of what you see as being the future potential of, of Web3 and the edge computing and industry. I think that we're heading towards what I'm calling a machine economy. And what this is, is, as I said, all compute resources are exposed on an open marketplace for buyers and sellers. And that includes connectivity, storage, compute, and energy. And uh, in the future, I think this may also uh, include, if not be run by, a market in carbon offsite offsets. And I can talk about that a little bit later as well. Uh, so what this world is going to look like is anybody in the world, whether it be an edge co-location provider or independent data center or an individual operator that has machines lying around, can download something and, and plug those machines into the network and say, hey, I volunteer this machine to accept uh, external compute jobs either in my area or from wherever. Anybody who wants to send this, I'll do that work for you. And then, you, and then just pay me in some, in some shared currency. Uh, so I, the reason, one of the reasons that that view of the world makes sense is 
the demand for silicon has been so extremely high. Like yeah. people, people can't get enough silicon. Like the you can't uh, uh, cars can't be produced because there's not enough silicon. So um, software is easier to write than than the, the limitation on the amount of software we write is it's effectively unlimited until you begin uh, looking at how much silicon is actually available to fulfill all the needs of of that software. Um, so there have been a number of articles and studies done which show that 30 to 90%, depending on the data center of, of these uh, data center CPUs is excess idle capacity. I mean, these things sitting around doing nothing in certain data centers in certain locations. Now, if you're the, you're the CIO or, or, or CFO or whatever of, of these companies that have these idle data centers, you're going to start saying, well, you know, if there were only a way we could keep these things busy 100% of the time, then that would be a better model for us than just having idle capacity. And uh, we're, we're starting to see companies exploring this. Like there was an announcement by um, a protocol called Anchor Protocol, where they had done a deal with a uh, uh, edge co-location provider to basically do exactly like that. So this edge co-location provider says, hey, I've got 100 machines sitting around doing nothing, you know, 30% of the time. During that downtime, I'm going to run these as Ethereum validator nodes, and they're going to get paid for doing that. So that's just the beginning. I, th I think uh, this this uh, the, this this world of wanting to keep all available silicon running full speed at all times uh, is is best possible through this model of this open marketplace. So I think that's the future. But I think getting there is going to take a while. <laughs> uh, I think there's yeah. going to be several steps before we get that that could be five years from now but i think that that logically is the direction i think things will head oh, okay yeah that sounds like a, a very interesting uh future there okay so yeah well that brings us to the uh end uh of the session here um thank you so much uh for your time and if you've got any parting words for us um i think that in the future uh we're going to see a bigger push towards making sure all com all compute resources are available online. And uh, again, I think the approach that makes sense is all that capacity should be on a open open marketplace, a marketplace between machines where machines can buy and pay for themselves and pay each other, and uh, users can pay to put workloads on those machines. Uh, I think it's highly likely that the the metaverse itself may live on that environment and may be. Uh, hosted um, using those types of methods. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about the future of edge computing and, and data centers and how all this is gonna shape up. Okay, all right, again, thank you so much uh, for your time and uh, wish you all the best in your endeavors. All right, thank you.